I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, we have back Raja Rajamanar, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at MasterCard. Raja was previously on episode 86 and encourage you to go back and listen to that. Today on the show, we talk about his new book, Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. We talk about what is quantum marketing, what were the prior paradigms that led up to this current change that he's documenting in his book, as well as the five elements of quantum marketing. So I hope you enjoy this show with Raja Rajmanar. Raja, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Alan. Really appreciate having me on the show. Yeah, no, it's been a long time. I, th- I think it, you were episode 86 and we're up to episode 40, 247, 248 now. <laughs> so wow. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a little while, but uh, I'm glad to have you back. Let's just jump in. Like You have a tremendously big job as CMO of MasterCard, and somehow you found the time to write a book. So what led to you writing this book? So I would say, actually, you know, it has uh, been a lifelong you know, passion or a bucket list, if you were to say, for me to write a book because my father has written a book and his father had written a book. So one day I wanted to write my own book. So this has been on, on the cards for a number of years. 
Now, this year in particular, because all my travel came to a grinding halt, I actually said that if there is one good moment when I can write a book, this is it. And I also found some extremely interesting ways of writing a book very efficiently and with minimal amount of time. And I actually deployed all those techniques literally and uh, had my first draft of my book in a matter of a few weeks. And uh, then it was all a process of refining and editing and doing more research to validate some of my hypotheses and so on. But it was very productive. And once I started getting into it, sort of, you know, it was moving forward pretty rapidly. And so now here we are. My book itself has been published on the 9th of February here in the US and in Canada, uh, Singapore and India. Well, it's a great book. The, the title, which I did not mention earlier, is Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. And um, how do you define quantum marketing? The word quantum actually has two perspectives to it. So one is when you talk of a massive change, you are a big jump or a leap ahead, you say quantum leap. So as I see, marketing is about, it's all poised to make a giant leap into the future. So that's one part of quantum. The other one, interestingly, if you look at the world of physics, classical physics is the science with which you try to understand all the phenomena around you in the environment. So it is gravity or electricity and magnetism and so on and so forth. And the classical physics worked quite well for a number of decades, if not centuries. Till such time, mankind discovered outer space. When mankind discovered outer space, classical physics just could not explain how things would work there. Or when the other extreme, when you go into the atoms and get into the subatomic spaces, again, classical physics was not working. And same thing when objects were traveling very fast, classical physics could not. So a new branch of physics was needed to explain this phenomena, and that was quantum physics, which is now the basis for a number of things that we know, we understand, and we leverage. In exactly the same way, many of the classical marketing theories, strategies, and practices that have been in vogue for a number of years are not going to work anymore. They're already beginning to collapse in a big way. So tomorrow, which I call the fifth paradigm, as marketing is just entering the fifth paradigm, classical marketing is going to just not work. And you need a new way of doing marketing, a new approach. You need to reimagine and reinvent marketing. And that new field is quantum marketing. So this is how I came to the name, because I'm making some uh, pretty significant you know, assertions in the book as to how some of the or many of the existing theories of marketing will simply not work, that they're already breaking down. So uh, it, it's, you know, I was actually looking uh, forward to the feedback from my peers, and it is so heartening to see that they all say, wow, Raja, this is eye-opening on the one hand. And in fact, it was uh, beautiful. One of my peers, he is the CMO of General Mills, uh, Ivan Pollard. He writes about the book saying that this book will do to our view of marketing what Copernicus's book did to our view of the world. It will change it forever. I cannot expect a better compliment than getting something like that from my peer. And I feel so grateful and blessed for that. The endorsers for this book, I mean, but beyond Ivan, I mean, it's like the who's who of CMOs and CEOs and CMO headhunters. Uh, I see Greg Welch in there, who's a friend of mine as well. You, you definitely have created a uh, something that people are interested in reading for sure. I want to come 
back to quantum marketing in a second, but you talk about, you, you mentioned this, the fifth paradigm. What were the paradigms that came before where we are today? Just if I think about the, the stages, if you will. Marketing, if you look at it, was being practiced as a craft since antiquity. So when you go into the ruins of Pompeii, actually archaeologists have discovered that there were advertisements for political candidates on people's homes. And these homes were carefully selected. They had to be wealthy people's homes because they were making a statement and they were explaining all the characteristics of those political candidates and so on. So marketing has been there in some form or the other. And in fact, I keep uh, saying it in a half-joking way, but fairly serious at one level, which is it was location-based marketing happening 2,000 years back, right? In a very rudimentary form. And likewise, you know, things like branding and logos. Logos were actually the first known logo was uh, for a company that was manufacturing steel needles. It was not even a company, it was a small family, which was in Song Dynasty times in China. And they show, they talk about their needles being made out of the finest steel. So you can really do your sewing and stitching in a beautiful way. And they show a rabbit which is holding that needle. That was probably the first ever logo, <laughs> right, for a brand. And it, it was very neatly thought about, you know, a sharp needle and then being held by a delicate and a fluffy animal like a rabbit. So there was some thinking that they have done, which was pretty cool. So the point is, in the olden days, right up to probably, I would say, the early part of 20th century, marketing was all focused on product. As a marketer, you would say, you create a great product, give it an attractive packaging, make it at an affordable price, which is give a good value and make it easily accessible to people to buy, then people will come and buy your product. The presumption is that when everything is good, since people are rational, logical thinking beings, why would they not do anything different? So life is good. So that's how it, it carried on. But then when psychology became more prevalent, marketers started discovering the power of psychology psychology, sociology, anthropology, the behavioral sciences, basically. And they said, wait a minute, all these sciences are telling us that people's decision-making is anything but rational or logical. It is all emotional. And if that is the case, should we not really look at marketing very differently? Now, there was actually that ushered in the second paradigm of marketing. First paradigm was product marketing. The second paradigm of marketing was emotional marketing. Now, emotional marketing became so powerful and marketers have discovered that you don't even need to talk about the product and still send, sell boatloads of it by just talking about emotions or showing emotions. And uh, a classical example of that is MasterCard. When we launched our priceless campaign, what do we do? We show a father and a son going to a baseball match and we say, you know, the ticket of uh, the ticket price for the baseball game, say $10, soda, $5, autographed baseball, uh, $40. But the time spent with your 11 year old son, priceless. Though there are things in life that are priceless, those are the things that matter. For everything else, there is MasterCard. So MasterCard is literally pushed into the background. You don't talk about, you know, it's a safe kind of a thing. It's widely, uh, you know, you can use your card anywhere or credit limits or rewards, cashback, nothing. We talk about the emotions between a father and a son. That's a classical example. And there are a lot of companies like, uh, like Coca-Cola. There's an open bottle of happiness. They don't talk about the fizz and the refreshing feeling, the taste, the quantity, nothing. It's basically 
open a bar for happiness. So emotions have really dominated marketing and two technologies actually helped propel this emotional storytelling to a different level. One was radio followed by television. So this was the height, uh, you know, the second paradigm and marketing was at its height. Then in mid 1990s, two technologies came about. One technology is called the internet where people actually it changed people's lives completely, right? And it became an indispensable part of their lives. And the second one is data analytics. So till then, data used to be essentially in the purview of the economists, the scientists, the geeks, and the nerds. But the marketers have discovered the power of uh, data. And that changed the entire game altogether, where now you could target precisely. You could under, you can optimize your campaigns. You can measure your return, returns on investment. So it has now become very quantitative. So till then, if you see emotions and all those things were very qualitative, they were right-brained. Suddenly, marketing shifted from right brain to left brain, And that is a huge change. So science and the technology, which is internet and data analytics, these two have propelled marketing to the third paradigm. Then in 2007, precisely, marketing moved from paradigm three to paradigm four. And that is thanks to essentially two technologies again. These two technologies are number one, social media platforms. Facebook scaled in big time in 2007, making it very prevalent. And number two, iPhone was launched for the first time in 2007, which changed the entire, uh, you know, not just one industry, but multiple industries. And between social media platforms and the mobile devices that were connected, people's lives altered and marketing had to reinvent itself. So that was the birth of you know, social marketing, influencer marketing, mobile marketing, location-based marketing, a whole uh, you know, a set of fields have come about. So these were the four paradigms that have happened till now. Now we are at the virtue of the fifth paradigm. Now, if you notice, Paradigm one to two, the shift was by two technologies, radio and te uh, television. From two to three was data analytics and internet. Three to four is social media and mobile devices. Now, instead of just two technologies, there are two dozen technologies that are coming at us like a tsunami. You've got artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, blockchains, 3D printing, 5G telecommunications, autonomous driving vehicles, internet of things, smart speakers, wearables, holographic projections. This is like, you know, absolutely a brave new world where there is such a deluge of technologies coming at us. It's each one of these is independently capable of dramatically altering people's lives. And imagine when all these are coming at the same time, how much of a disruption will there be? So marketing is going to go through an unprecedented level of disruption as we are entering this fifth, this fifth paradigm. And it is not like five years hence or 10 years hence. It is happening. We are in the cusp already between the fourth and the fifth paradigm. Uh, many of these technologies are already there and they have begun to scale. Like, for example, AI is already scaling very fast. And then you have got uh, technologies like blockchain, which is scaling very fast. Smart speakers, 40% penetration already. So these technologies are not some futuristic technologies then, here and now. And so the point is, marketing has to be completely reimagined for this new world. Existing theories, strategies, concepts are simply not going to work. 
So what I try to do in my book, Quantum Marketing, is to firstly help marketers understand or business people understand in plain English what each one of these technologies are. Demystify them because the moment you say technology, oh my God. So this is to really simplify, make it accessible to people, easily understood. And then outline how it is going to impact marketing and then give steps on how marketers have to leverage those and what should they do to leverage those. And so it's almost like a kind of a playbook. So a little bit of a backgrounder, a little bit of, I would say, explaining the concepts and then outlining the future and how you should go about it. So this has broadly been the structure of my book. And like you rightly said, you know, many of my peers, they have actually reached out and then they said, Raja, you know, these were many topics which we sort of had very superficial understanding, if at all, but we were too shy to ask, so to speak. Because, you know, when you have reached a particular level, you don't want to admit your ignorance. Now, unfortunately, that's very prevalent, right? And so they said, this is such a, f- a phenomenal book. And, you know, whether it was from CMOs of Unilever or uh, Facebook or Twitter or Kimberly Clark, so many companies that have actually responded, I feel extremely good about it. So hopefully people will find it very useful and uh, very practical. In the quantum marketing, uh, you highlight, I think five elements, and I may get this a little off, but I hope I get it right. There's the North Star or purpose. You have heart, obviously technology, which we've talked about, these technology shifts that have happened over the time. And then you have brain and data. These are pretty all-encompassing, frankly, as you think about how they all kind of piece together. But how did you come up with these? How did you derive these? And maybe a quick you know, a quick thumbnail on what they, what each means or what they stand for. So basically, you, know, you say that, uh, you know, all matter and everything is made up of five elements. So when I started sitting back and said, what exactly are we, are the elements for marketing? And I said, these are the five elements which make the primordial mix as far as marketing is concerned. So the first thing, which is not true so much in the past, but it is going to be absolutely critical for the future is purpose. Purpose is about having some kind of a North Star, a guiding post. So you are actually pursuing that and everything else is in support of it. Whatever be your North Star. And the North Star cannot be saying that I'm going to beat my goals every quarter or every week. That's not a North Star. The mission of the purpose is much bigger. Every company has to really think about it and marketers have to bring that purpose to life. Right. So, and this includes and encompasses values like integrity, ethics. Now, marketing, unfortunately, is seen by many people as a con game, that it is a deceptive craft or a trade. It is not. Unfortunately, that's a bad reputation it has gained, basically because I think marketers have done bad things and that sticks, right? So, we have ourselves to blame. So, the key thing is the North Star, when I talk about it, these are the elements that I'm talking about. The purpose, ethics, integrity, and how do you really go and pursue your purpose? And that's number one. Number two, when I talk about heart, I'll start first with the other one, which is you know, when you talk about intelligence, right? Intelligence in the past was just human intelligence, but now we are talking about augmented intelligence. It is human brain together with artificial intelligence. The combination of human intelligence and the uh, artificial intelligence is what I call as augmented intelligence. This is going to be a phenomenal combination that will take things to a new level altogether. So that's number two. Number three 
technologies. Now, technologies, like, like we just discussed a few minutes back, there is a plethora of technologies which are coming at us. And each one of these technologies, if you were to see, they can empower marketing in an unbelievable fashion. And if you know how to leverage it, you can win and thrive big time in the marketplace. So I said technology is one of the very key ingredients. Then I bring heart. The key thing is technology is a great leveler. It levels the playing field for everyone. The same technology is available for everyone. And in this particular time, it is so democratized that you don't even have to put a huge capital investment for technology, for accessing technology. You can pay as you go. There are services in the cloud. So what happens is whether you are a small, tiny startup or you are a giant company, both of you are competing on the same playing field and it is all level, thanks to the democratization that technology brings. So then what really differentiates one brand versus the other brand is the heart of the brand and how it connects with people. It's not just appealing to people's minds, but it is actually creating a chemistry and an affinity with people. So that's the heart component. The last one I would say is data. Data is the new field that powers marketing. Now, data is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it is highly empowering to marketers because you can get to insights. But on the other hand, for the consumers, it is a big scare. They say, where is my data? What about me? Who is tracking what? What are they using it for? Where is it residing? What happens if it gets compromised, et cetera? So data has to be approached not only as a tool of empowerment, but also as a responsibility to protect and respect the privacy of people. So that's going to be a very unique mix. So these are the five elements that I say are coming together in the fifth paradigm under quantum marketing that will change the game altogether. That's fascinating. And I love hearing you break it down. I'm sure that it's also what the CMOs are reacting to that we've talked about is that you've made this digestible, like all this change that is going on around us, you've helped to compartmentalize it in a way where I can like actually ingest it as a human, right? I'm not an AI machine and I can't, <laughs> I can't think in quantum, uh, quantum computing standpoints, but you've helped me kind of digest the change that's going on around us um, so that I can make sense of it. Well, one thing I'd like to talk about, and maybe we can talk about some examples is what does quantum marketing mean for business transformation? Maybe some examples would come, you know, like, and they don't have to be like, they could be more futuristic if you want, or they could be what's happening here and now, but how does this play out for a marketer? Very happy to share a few thoughts, right? I'll give a couple of examples from the present as well as from what's likely to happen in the future. So for the present, let's take a simple example of smart speakers. Today, in countries like the US, Germany, UK, and Japan, more than 40% of the households already have a smart speaker, either from Amazon Alexa or from Google Home, right? And there are a whole bunch of other devices out there. But 40% of the households already have this device. Now, people have claimed, 70% plus people have claimed that they use that smart speaker at least once a day. Now, smart speakers are so helpful that once you start using them, literally you cannot live without them. Like today, for example, I have actually, I was very cautious and trying to understand the technology and so on. I, and one day I just said, hey, no, it can set up my alarm. So I said, hey, Alexa, set up alarm at 6 p.m. or uh, 6 a.m. And it says alarm set at 6 a.m. Now suddenly it made my life so easier. I delegated a task. It's a, it's a small task, but still. So from now on, what I say, 
I just, as I'm walking into my bed, I say, hey, Alexa, set the alarm at 5.30. It does immediately and it's taken care of, right? Now I'm using it every day and this is just one of the uses. Now, again, 70% of the people who have a smart speaker have said that they buy items using smart speakers, okay? And 70%, that's a huge number. So I can, I can see it, right? So what happens? So you go to Alexa and say, hey, Alexa, uh, I want to buy diapers. So it will say, okay, do you want to buy pampers? Yeah. Okay, this size? Yeah. Okay, done. It's already been debited to your credit card that is lying, that's there with Amazon. Seamlessly, it's all done. And then the, it says, you can track your package now talking to me. So, hey, Alexa, where is my package? Yeah, it's coming day after tomorrow morning. So that's the entire purchase process. Now, it's cool from a consumer experience point of view. But from a marketer's point of view, it's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The reason is now there is a new character in the entire value chain of the purchasing process called Alexa, who is actually influencing the purchase decision of the consumer. And she is also a gatekeeper. Now, how does she influence the purchase decision? Because when she says Pampers or whatever is the first name that she says, most of the consumers say yes. So if she decides to bring brand A versus brand B, then brand A will continue to win. The key thing is that how do I become that brand A? So now I have to talk market to Alexa to come onto their list. Now people can say, well, this is what was happening in search engine optimization and search engine marketing. How is this different? It is vastly different. They are similar, but they are vastly different. Why? In a regular search engine optimization and such as marketing, what's happening is when you search for something, some uh, you know you get a bunch of results on your screen. Now, visually, a person is able to process multiple elements simultaneously. So I can see there are four brands or there are four lines I can go through, one, two, three, four, or whatever, and then I can decide. And I control the process there in terms of I want to look at number one or number three, or I want to click into something and compare two things. It's all up to me. In the case of a voice, uh, the smart speaker, that doesn't happen. Second, the way we process sound is very linear and sequential. I can only process one thing at a time through audio, whereas visually I can process four things simultaneously. So the entire approach is going to be completely different. The marketers are not prepared yet for that. And we have to reimagine our tactics and strategies as to how we are going to tackle this kind of an environment, right? That's where quantum marketing comes in. So this is just one example, and it is here and today. Now, let me give you a little bit of a futuristic example. So autonomous cars are here. Now, there are all kinds of talk. Say, you know, Apple is coming with theirs, and Tesla is already there, and Ford is coming, GM is coming, and so on. Now, when autonomous cars are launched big time, one of my predictions is probably the industry which will get most impacted is radio, right? Because when people are driving, they give their visual attention to the street ahead or the traffic ahead, but their audio attention is free and therefore they fill it either with phone calls or with radio. Radio is a very prevalent one when commuting is there. Once life comes back to normalcy, after people again start commuting to work and all that stuff, still, when autonomous cars come in, now, suddenly, for me as a passenger, my uh, video attention, my attention through vision is also now freed up because I can sit in the back seat and say, hey, take me to my office. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I'm sitting and reading newspaper, or I can watch a video, or I can sleep, or I can... So what happens is, probably something like a radio will move. to a lesser uh, you know prominence than what it is today in the car environment second in that time you can visualize that journey as either a mobile office for the consumer where he or she is sitting and working or it could be a mobile living room where he or she is now watching content that they normally do in the living room or it could be a mobile bedroom where they say let's get 45 minutes more sleep now i need to understand what happens in that journey so that i am able to tweak how if for example if the person is sleeping i don't want to interrupt and annoy the consumer and if the person is watching a netflix and netflix is ad free but that's a 45 minutes of captive time that the consumer is giving how do i break into that i need to have a strategy <laughs> okay so it's going to change the entire picture pretty dramatically right so each one of these whether it is current technology which is already scaling or future technology which is just about to take root there is going to be a tremendous implication for marketers and we need to start thinking about creating that infrastructure like i'll just give you one more example so you have got internet of things so which means every device is now connected to the internet and they are smart so what happens so for example at mastercard we co-created a refrigerator with samsung this refrigerator has a screen on one of the doors on the screen you can see without opening the door what the contents are inside now what also the refrigerator does it because it's smart it actually senses how many items are there for example you talk a bottle oh this guy normally has four bottles of water now there is only one which means i need to reorder and it will automatically reorder from fresh to wet and the replenishment will come to my home right now what happens is now the refrigerator is now taking away some of my decision making and it it does it by itself now imagine if i am brand a of milk which is already in the refrigerator i have one strategy how do i make sure that samsung continues to prefer my now if i am brand b of milk the question is how do i get into the refrigerator in the first place it's a complete new strategy i have to have against that right now these are the kind of things that are actually happening very quickly it's is fascinating now every connected device is actually a device for marketing if you know how to you do it right so suddenly just imagine now you are surrounding the consumer with marketing media the question is how do you make use of it how do you make sure that the consumer is not annoyed and sick and tired of you how do you get it be very contextually appropriate for every situation and it's it's like it could be for a marketer like alice in wonderland <laughs> right but it's also full of massive landmines if you don't get it right you get blown away or blown out completely and then somebody else will take your space 
So that's the excitement as well as the daunting challenge we have ahead in the fifth paradigm. Well, and there's so many in all of those examples, there's so many examples of like winner takes all almost, you know, whether it's the audio and the recommendation that you're getting to the one you just talked about, which is how do you break into the refrigerator if you're not there already? That's a huge, huge challenge just in terms of like making products physically available. Definitely a change. I want to transition a bit away from quantum marketing, potentially. It, you, you, you might say that this is still part of this, but MasterCard in recent history has done a lot to push into what I call, or what I've heard called multi-sensory marketing um, with elements like your Sonic brand. And I think you've got more on the horizon, but tell me about that push into multi-sensory marketing. Like, why are you going there? And, and like, what should I as a marketer be thinking about? So I'll, uh, firstly, I must say that, yes, this is absolutely a part of quantum marketing. <laughs> yes, it sounds like it should be. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So the key thing is today, on an average, consumers are being bombarded by anywhere between three to 5,000 messages every single day. And that is a humongous amount of overload of information or of messaging. And consumers, they are either tuning out on the one hand, and also simultaneously what's happening is their span of attention is getting shorter and shorter as a result. So today it is said that the uh, span of attention for a human being is less than that of a goldfish. It is under eight seconds. And uh, so you're talking of a narrow window through which three to 5,000 messages are going to get through. So you as a brand, has to be part of that stream, beat 4,999 other messages to stand out. And then in the short span of attention that the consumer has got, tell your story and impress upon the consumer to choose your brand versus somebody else's brand. It's not an easy task at all. So what happens is we start thinking at MasterCard and what I said is, look, you know, when you look at people, people have five senses. Okay, the sense of vision, sense of sound, sense of touch, sense of taste, sense of smell. So you've got five senses that people have got through which they receive information and process it in the brain, and then they react to it. Marketers predominantly or almost 99.99% of the times rely only on two senses, the sense of sight and the sense of sound. So the question is, can we have the other senses as well that we can leverage? which is leverage all the five senses in an appropriate way, of course, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the two senses that we deploy or that we leverage, which is the sense of vision and the sense of sound, today, we do a very shoddy job. We are not optimizing it. So the question is, how do you optimize? So we started looking at the sense of sound you know, as one of the big areas. So how do you communicate through sense of sound? You've got voiceover. You've got music playing in the background, et cetera. But then we said, if you bring science into it, understand how people process and how people react to sounds, various sounds, various tunes, various rhythms, various et cetera, on the one hand. And number two, you create an identity for your brand in a sonic format, right? That's when you register. Remember I told we talked about just a few minutes back on smart speakers. In smart speakers, everything happens over sound waves. There is no visual real estate. How does a brand show up in a sound environment? The only way it can do is through a sonic format. 
So we said, let's look at sonic format and see how we can represent our brand in that environment. So we said, let's see what other brands have done. Now, there have been brands which have been using jingles forever, for, you know, for decades and decades, so nothing new. But jingles are very unidimensional. But there, even with that unidimensional nature, it is very strong in brand recognition. Today, I remember some of the jingles from my early childhood, very strongly embedded. That's how deep they are embedded in the uh, brain. So what we said is, can we come up with a very scientific and a proper brand architecture? On the visual side, we do it. Why not on the sound side? So we said, let's do it on the sound. So we embarked on this whole journey and we started creating our own playbook. So we said, we have to create a 30 second melody, a 30 second melody that stands for MasterCard. So people will, when they listen to the memory, this should say, this is MasterCard. So this melody will go through as the background of all the songs, uh, all the, sorry, advertisements. It'll be there as uh, uh, what do you call music at our events. It'll be there in as ringtones for our employees on their phones. It'll be there as music on hold when somebody calls a MasterCard office and so on. So this is one level. The second level of this is a, a subset of these 30 seconds is three seconds. That three seconds sonic signature. So it's just a three second reminder of the 30 second melody. So when you listen to this, it evokes the memory of the melody in total. So these three seconds is what we use at the end of every single one of our ads. Imagine Intel has done it very successfully. Their, their mnemonic at the end, right, uh, of their ads. Then number three, third layer that we have introduced is what we call as the acceptance sound. Acceptance sound is, you know, as MasterCard, you use our card when you go to your shop or you're on your digital device and when you're making a purchase, you're waiting for some kind of a confirmation that the transaction has gone through successfully. We said, why can't we use that as the opportunity to get our brand and reinforce the Sonic brand? So it is just 1.3 seconds, and it is a subset of the three seconds Sonic signature, which in turn is a subset of the 30-second melody. So we created this. Now, already it is scaled so much that 58 million points of interaction around the world now play the MasterCard uh, acceptance sound when the credit card or the debit card transaction goes through successfully. Right. And between these three, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for us to keep creating and reinforcing an identity for MasterCard in the world of sound. In order to popularize this melody, we have created a music album. So we worked with one of the top producers and composers in the world. He has worked with the likes of uh, Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus and Mary J. Blige. Those are the kind of artists he worked with. So we have had him create. 11 songs for MasterCard across various genres, including rap, including popular, and including all kinds of things. So this one is going to be released soon in, over the next one quarter or so. And uh, the idea is each one of these songs is very beautiful and it has got a hint of the MasterCard melody in it. Just a hint. So we are trying to popularize or familiarize the consumers with the MasterCard tune. So it starts with creating an awareness and ends up with being a, creating an attribution. So attribution will follow, but then we are starting with awareness, right? Now, awareness for the melody. So that's what we are trying to do. So this is our just you know, one dimension, which is on sonic, uh, uh, on sound. So likewise, when we look at all the five senses that we eventually want to appropriately leverage, that's what we call multi-sensory strategy. And in the future, 
given the various devices that will be surrounded by, given the various technologies will be surrounded by, we need to explore ways of getting into people's hearts and minds through all their five senses. And that is multi-sensory marketing. And I talk extensively about it in my book, Quantum Marketing. It's a full chapter almost. I love what you're doing there because breaking your brand down into the elements of senses allows you so many opportunities like you just described to place your brand in experiences that otherwise you couldn't do like the transactions the point of sale or i could also see you we talked about netflix and the living room and these autonomous cars you know how many times are people paying for things in the shows in which they watch the sound of acceptance could be the master mastercard sound right and now you have product integration in a entertainment venue that people don't even, it doesn't feel an interruption to get your brand into those places, which is phenomenal now that I put those two things together. So <laughs> I'm catching up with you, Roger. It's taking me a little bit longer, but I'm very fast. I yeah. <laughs> so very cool. Well, I, I want to switch gears there's, and, and there's a series of questions I ask everyone that come on the show. Some are serious, some are silly thought I would get your view on some of these as well. And my first question, which is most favorite question I ask is, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? So in fact, one of the experiences which really stands out to me is, you know, when I was doing my MBA, I was uh, actually specializing in environmental management, which is about pollution control and keeping our environment and climate safe and so on. So this was way back in 1984. So when I was doing that, in my internship, I was actually uh, assigned to a company or I got my internship in a company which was in the business of producing color cosmetics for women, a very reputed company in India. So I was sitting in the, uh, you know, one of the cubicles that gave me to do my project uh, and I was working on some logistics project. And I happened to overhear a conversation that was happening in the next cubicle between my boss and some agency people. And they were struggling to see what the new advertising campaign should look like. The whole idea is in India in those days, it was not seen very favorably if women were using color cosmetics like lipsticks. You know, in the, in the relatively conservative parts like tier two and tier three cities, which were more conservative, they would say that if a woman is wearing color cosmetics, she is trying to draw attention to herself, which means her character is not good. That's a you know, kind of a crazy uh, you know, paradigm that used to exist. And they were trying to see how they should tackle that. Now, immediately I started, I took a piece of paper and I wrote the paper. I, I know in a very, you know, I'm, not a good at, I'm not good at drawing. So I just sort of put a small ad, literally. That headline was, is it bad to look good? Right? And then I just you know, showed a woman looking into, the, into a mirror and then she's applying lipstick and very respectful uh, looking. And I just write, write a couple of descriptors and they said that, the answer, obviously, is it is not bad. Uh, it's not at all bad to look good. If you're looking good, why not? What's wrong with that? And I went to walk across to the next cubicle and I said, I, I apologize, but you know, there is no soundproofing out here. I, I could hear your conversation as I was trying to work. And here is something which I have put. So they saw it and I, it so happened that the chairman of the company was also there in that same office at the time. So they all saw this and they thought it was fantastic. And immediately, uh, they said this will actually be converted into a campaign, into a real-world campaign. That was a huge initial uh, you know, thing for me where I suddenly discovered that that experience that I have got some natural 
proclivity towards advertising and marketing. So immediately I changed my path from environment. I went to marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you found your gift at that I moment. Found, I found my calling. Yes. So to speak. <laughs> what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over again? See, I would say that, you know, I have discovered more about a balanced living much later in life than earlier on. I would tell myself at the time saying that don't be as stupid and don't feel good if you're working for two days continuously without a break, right? Or don't feel great that if you sleep for one hour or two hours a day, that you're a superman. That's stupid. Or eating junk food. Uh, or leading a very stressful life and feeling that that's really corporate and it's very you know, cool. Okay, I would have actually had a much, I would, I would tell my younger self, so that lead a very balanced life right from day one. You should realize that work is only a small portion of your life. Life is so much bigger and better, and it's got so much to offer than just spending it all on work, right? Number one. That doesn't mean you just find a flake off and not work. No, you work because you, you need it for a livelihood. But that is an input to everything else, not an end in itself. That's number one, I would say. And second thing is the aspect of health and well-being. Right, health and well-being. When your health and well-being is really on the high, your productivity is high, your creativity is high, your joy and enjoyment of your work is also high. It's all around, right? I think so. I would tell, and in those days, I would have told myself, I should have told myself to my younger self that you now it's all about health and well-being. It's all about happiness. It's all about leading a well-balanced life. Very wise. Well. This next question is a little silly, but I like asking it is, has there been an impactful purchase of $100 or less, say in the last six to 12 months? In the last six to 12 months, that, that's indeed a, actually a very thought provoking. <laughs> the $100 is what actually makes it more interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, yes, the most impactful purchase, less than $100, is a stand for my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> so I use iPad predominantly and even for the uh, calls and the you know, webinars and everything else that I do. And I bought a stand. It's a terrific stand, which made my life so much easier and uh, you know, occupies very little space. So I think probably this is one of the most impactful purchases that I've got. And it gets the iPad, I'm guessing, up to eye level. So you're not hunched down looking exactly at Exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, cool. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, last two questions for you. More marketing focused. And I'm just curious, on a personal level, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of besides MasterCard? I think for me, there are three areas which matter very profoundly. The first one is, I would say, animals. I do feel that uh, very strongly that this world is meant for all of us to share and share with all living beings. You know, nobody has said that this belongs solely to mankind or humankind and uh, or everyone else will live at the pleasure of the human beings. I think uh, we have to really realize our position in this world and be more humble and be more respectful of other living beings as well. And I think that we are destroying whether it is trees or forests or animal life, etc. And I think that's one, that's the first area that I would say uh, that companies should rally around, number one. The second thing, it is appalling 
in this day and age with so much of food that is produced that people have to go hungry. There is, if you actually look at the production of food, there is more than enough food for the entire world. But either a lot of it is actually being wasted or spoiled or damaged, or it is not being distributed to the needy. And I think that's something which we have to really figure out a solution to. That's very critical. That would be my second one. The third one I would say is back to health and well-being. People's lifestyles are getting pretty unhealthy, whether it is addiction to digital screens or excessive stress in people's lives, or uh, it is eating food that is anything but healthy in a big way, etc. And, and I think there is a combination of whole factors which are leading to both you know, physical and mental illnesses at an unprecedented level, which is sad. I, and, and I would say that you know, a sharp focus on educating people about, because a lot of our health and well-being is driven by our own lifestyles, our own choices of daily living that we make. Right, And I think those are really critical and many people are fairly drifting off. Okay, And if you look at the obesity, for example, and obesity in this country, and in fact, in many countries around the world, is like you know, one third of the population is obese. Even small children, they're obese because of the food they're eating, the lack of physical exercise. You're sitting all the time in front of those stupid uh, screens and wasting hours and hours of time, which also fragments your... Uh, attention span and all kinds of things are happening. I think there is a complete, you know, a quantum health. Somebody has to really come and write that book. Actually, it's it's very very critical and make it happen. So I would say these would be my top three. I like it. Uh, very important causes for sure. Last question for you: As you think about marketers today, what do you feel like is their either largest opportunity or biggest threat that they face? The biggest threat that they face is marketers are being sidelined by others. Now, I know there, was, there were some recent surveys which showed that more than 70% of CEOs of various companies have expressed a lack of faith and trust and confidence in their CMOs and in their marketing departments. That is to be an existential crisis. Many CMO roles are being eliminated, including the companies like Johnson & Johnson. That is an existential threat. Marketing as a function is being fragmented in the olden days, we used to talk about the four P's of marketing. But now, marketing does not handle product, it does not handle pricing, it does not handle place, which is distribution. It barely hangs on to one P, which is promotions. And that to only thematic promotions and not schematic promotions. So that's not a great situation to be in. That's the biggest threat. And one of the fundamental reasons is marketers have not kept up pace. Since the third paradigm, marketers started losing ground. Because classically, Marketers have been trained from the right side of their brain, creativity, intuition, judgment, and so on. But marketing has got so much of data and technology now that you have to exercise your left brain. Now, the key thing is marketers have not been able to do it. They have not been playing with data. They have not been doing technology. So other people outside of marketing are now defining the agenda on data and on technology as it is applied to marketing too, which is a pity. So the opportunity for marketers or the necessity, I would say, for marketers at this stage is to quickly start educating themselves about the technologies. Get a grounding in the basics of data, at least enough to be able to ask the right questions and to be able to comprehend the answers when they are given and distinguish the fluff from the stuff. It's very, very critical, right? So that's very, very important for marketers. 
and have people who are experts in each one of these areas in their team. So at least as a team, it is a wholesome, holistic team that looks at everything, right? That's very, very critical and very important. And the opportunity is when data and technology are becoming so prevalent in the immediate future, the entire landscape will be very democratized. Companies will be struggling to fight against startups and the small companies because scale doesn't matter. Everyone has got the same opportunity. So companies need marketing tomorrow more than ever before. This is the biggest opportunity for marketing to make a difference to businesses because without marketing, companies will be dead. So you need marketing. So you're in the right field. Educate yourself quickly. Get your head around. I know marketing aspects are pertinent to technology, pertinent to data. Connect the dots between marketing actions and business outcomes. And then you are golden. So I said that is the biggest opportunity. And in fact, that's exactly what you know, I have tried to capture in my book as well, Quantum Marketing, talking about the existential threat on one hand and the extraordinary opportunity for marketing on the other hand. You know, and I outlined saying that what are the things marketers should do to really up their game uh, as we are entering the fifth paradigm. And I do hope that some of your readers will, uh, or some of your listeners will uh, take a look at the book and I would love to hear their feedback. I love it. Well, Raja, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always like a masterclass with you. Thank you, Alan. Really much, much appreciate. Please take care, stay safe, and be well. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 